Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, Elliot, the old clout-chasing bastard himself. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I know. I am. It's true. Everything they say is true. <laughs> I did not know you were going to roll in with that. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep that, honestly, with uh, some of our um, listener base. Hopefully, uh, some parents that listen to their kid with no. their kids aren't too upset. Rumor on the street has it that I'm really old. That you're mm-hmm. really old. You're a school teacher, yeah. and <laughs> lots of other things. Lots of other things. No, but on, yeah. seriously, I'm looking right now, at, uh, and we can go down that path if you want. But I'm looking at weather.com. <laughs> I pulled up more record-breaking snow is on the way, and that is directly north of me. A blanket of snow clear across the Dakotas into Nebraska, and it's coming, and I'm going. And I tell you, very, very seldom does the weather cooperate like exactly with a hunting trip. And that's the bad thing about scheduled hunting trips. It's like, man, you can't go on the weather. If I was going to schedule this hunting trip based on the weather, it would line up exactly when I'm going. It, this front's coming in. The, the north wind starts Thursday afternoon. And it's going to blow all day Friday and I'm going to be hunting Friday, Saturday. And then another front hits on Sunday. I'm hunting Sunday and I've got Monday off. So I can, if I really want, I can hit an early Monday hunt as well. And there's a chance of snow on Monday. So we could be talking a snow hunt. So to say I'm a little excited is an understatement. Yeah. Awesome. No, that sounds like a, a perfect opportunity. So. Um, this is what, is this like the second or third week they're open? It's the third weekend. So I I skipped the opener because it was almost 90 degrees and the ducks were non-existent. So I'm like, I'm skipping the opener because I want to go out there for, so this, this weekend I'm going now because the the area that I'm going is about three hours, three and a half hours away. And so I've traveled a lot. I've traveled twice to Nebraska. I've traveled out there. And so I'm going two weekends in a row here. And so I, I just don't want to be away from my family every single weekend. Cause when I go out here, it's, you really need to make a weekend of it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to skip the opener. I'm going to stay back around for two weeks straight and not hunt. And luckily both those weekends just sucked <laughs> out there. And now I'm going to go for two weekends row. So I'm hunting Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe Monday. And then I'm going right back around and I'm hunting another Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday. So I'm going to have, Five to seven hunts in about a, I don't, I'm a third grade teacher. So come on, my math sucks. Um, <laughs> about a 10 day period of time. So not nice. even that, like an eight day period. Of time. So it's, you're kicking it into full, full gear, right gear. I've got nine hunts to this point since September, the first weekend of September. And I'm going to put in about, you know, five to seven hunts here in the next eight, nine days. Nice. And the weather is and the yeah, and the weather is just cooperating, to say the least. Yeah, sweet, awesome, man. Sounds a uh, like a good old time. 
Yeah, I, I'm excited. Oh, and I, I just heard today there's this one pool, and I was talking to buddies like, all right, I'm looking at this pool, and oh, there's 2,000 ducks in this pool, and mallards and pintails was the report I got. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, this is our opening weekend in uh, northern Indiana as well. So um, we're going to be having some fun, too. I don't think that we're going to see near the ducks that you're going to see, though. Uh, honestly, a, a bunch of our opener spots um, for, like, the HDR crew uh, this year kind of on preliminary scouting just doesn't look uh, promising. Um, but it's kind of weird, too, because um, I'm actually splitting off from the HDR crew for opener and I haven't done that. I haven't done that in, um, like, pretty much ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and the reason is just we got too many people going. Uh, my brother-in-law's in town, and you know, and I'm more than happy to to hunt with my dad and brother-in-law, um, and kind of do that hunt, um, opposed to you know hunt with the HDR crew. I hunt with them mm-hmm. all year, and so brother-in-law's in town, um, from Tennessee, so. We're gonna get on. I've got a, a few a few options. I think we'll probably get on a, a, a little wood duck shoot and hopefully have some mallards mixed in there as well. Nothing nothing like what you got there with the the cold front and the weather. But I mean, we're still we we still got some chilly conditions. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, you have your spot pretty much picked out then. I don't. Um, no, I don't. I'm I, I'm still scouting. I got some stuff to scout right now. I mean, what today's Tuesday. I actually was scouting this evening before we got on here, and um, I was actually going to go into a spot that I have permission, um, but also he let some deer hunters hunt there, and and I rolled up with my canoe, and it's pretty it's back in his farm. I got to go down a lane and then a lane through the woods to get to a creek and drop the the canoe in there. Well, I I, I would have been there's there's deer hunters out there, so. I knew I'd been ticking some people off. So I'm like, I'm not going at the right time. I'll just go and scout it another time. So that was kind of a bust on that scouting. Um, either I'll have to come in a different way or, or something. But I had planned to drive my truck all the way back there and, and get the canoe in. But I'm not going to do that because the deer hunters just get, get mad when you do that, <laughs> unfortunately. Trying to respect your fellow hunters or whatever. You would have just done it, wouldn't you, Elliot? Uh, the, orange, the orange crew is not going to stop me from waterfowling. I'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, not from hunting, no, but just to scout just it. Teasing. But I could. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And uh, yeah, so I didn't get to scout that, but I had dropped a whole bunch of pins on Onyx. Of I mean, I've been doing the last few days, um, just hitting up all the spots I wanna, I wanna ask for permission. And so uh, it's like all year I've been waiting for COVID to not be a big deal, so I can go scout and ask for permission. And I just said screw it. I'm like. I have to, I mean, I want to ask, I haven't been asking since like turkey season, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and so, and nobody cared. One guy did care. Um, I was trying to show him on a map, his property lines and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, cause I started getting closer really? to him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But everybody else was super, um, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, I got permission from one guy. And when I went to leave, I'm like, I'm not sure with like COVID and everything. You're cool with it, shaking hands. He's like, and he's like, ah, I don't, I don't even know if COVID's a real, like, you know, he's like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much that. So, I mean, you know, um, you kind of get the, the wide, wide gamut. I got people backing up for me outside and, you know, I had other people like inviting me in their house. Yeah. So. Oh, I'll tell you in Kansas, it's like, if it's rural, you just don't have to worry about it. It's like, even in small towns, you don't have to wear masks and, you know, and like the gas station, I live in between two smallish towns. One's about... 30,000 one's about 50,000 and then there's I live 
close to this really, really little town, like probably five, 600 people. And the gas station of that really little town, it's like, eh, you don't even, I don't even think about wearing a mask. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just no big deal. And I would have zero issues knocking on doors in rural, rural Kansas. Cause you just know that in Kansas, if you get rural, they're all Republicans. They're all Republicans. So, and with Republicans, you don't have to worry about masks. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's the way it seems. So, um, but I was, I'm super pumped to get, I got that permission. Um, it's so hard to get permission nowadays on private land. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a little wood duck hole. Actually, I actually haven't been in it at all. I just saw it on the map and I'm going to have some fun accent access through, um, through a Creek and, and getting up in this little swamp. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, that that's gonna be fun. So I'll, I think I'm gonna scout it tomorrow morning. You know, but. speaking of speaking of wood ducks, did you see either of um, Thomas's uh, Virginia Limited Outdoors his wood duck videos? Where there's this one particular video where he's got this hole in I think it's North Carolina. He's gonna hunt by himself, and then some other guys show up and they hunt it together. Do you happen to see that video? Um, well, yeah. I mean, the way they're hunting those wood ducks there, and how these wood ducks are like decoying, and then he's got another one of his dad and him hunting. And he's like calling at these at mm-hmm. these wood ducks, and they're circling back around him and everything, and dropping in. I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 hold on, that's not wood duck hunting in Kansas. So I'm like, okay, if that's the wood duck hunting that you guys are all talking about, okay, count me in on that. <laughs> it was totally different. Yeah. It was like birds cupping in, banking yeah. around. Like it was just like it was just like regular puddle duck hunting. That's my whole thing with wood ducks. It's like it's never like a regular puddle duck hunting. It's for me. For me. That's because you're not you don't hunt where wood ducks are. Yeah. And I don't call them and I don't use the decoys and it was just an eye opener because I was like, uh, oh my God. Number one thing with wood ducks. Number one thing with wood ducks is you just got to be pretty close to where they mm-hmm. want to be. And if you can do that, then you got them Maple Maple Leaf and, and Dequin right in the set, and it's um, honestly I, I have a ton of fun early season um, with wood duck hunts. I really do. Like I, I'm most people like I've already shot like big ducks and mallards and and uh, <laughs> and like honestly I'm looking forward to some of my really cool little wood duck holes that I have, um, and it's just so much fun. Yeah. So yeah. well, those wood duck holes that Thomas has had looked like really really fun places to hunt. So I was like, I need yep. to back up a little bit Timber from swans. my, uh, um, claims of how, you know, I don't really care for wood duck hunting. It's like, okay, no, what I need to say is I've never really wood duck hunted. <laughs> That's what I need to say. I don't run because I've never really yeah. done it. How you guys do it. You know, it's just a totally different, totally different deal. <laughs> so I, I have to oh, yeah. retract all of my previous statements about not liking wood duck hunting and just anytime I said that, just say he's never wood, hunt, wood duck hunted properly. Yeah. Well, it's too late. We got yeah. your record. You can't retract your statements. Yeah. Okay. You're just going to be forever known as I'm actually, I've, I'm doing a wood duck video and I talk about how everybody in the central flyway, uh, um, kind of puts their nose noses up to wood ducks and, and everybody in the Mississippi Flyway and the Atlantic Flyway kind of have more respect for the birds mm-hmm. than the other two yeah. flyways, which is, I think is true. I do I too. I really do. I do too. I mean, here it's so. just not it's just not a thing. You get one kind of coming in or something, it's cool, and you get them passing by and you pop them, but you certainly don't. I don't even call at them. I'm like, oh, there's wood ducks. I don't even blow my call. I mean, they never listen. They you know they never do what I do what I want them to do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's kind of weird, you know. I mean, I have I have options to go to places where I can hunt wood ducks, and usually it's for like the first couple of weeks, like first three weekends. I kind of count as 
my options to hunt wood ducks. But once it gets into early November, we get the and the first um, skim ice. They're just gone. They're gone for the whole season. You know, mm-hmm. that's it. That's our any any place that held wood ducks before that. Um, it's just going to be barren, you know, of wood ducks. Um, you know, if other birds use it, then they'll be there. But as far as the wood duck goes, there, there's a lot of places that I only see wood ducks. I don't see other birds. And uh, once they're gone, it's like it's not worth hunting them. So, um, you know, that kind of being being said, there's there's places in, in further, you know, further down south, especially on the Atlantic Flyway, where, where that's just all they hunt. They literally just hunt wood ducks. Um, and those guys, I think, really know how to hunt wood ducks more than anybody else because it's not like, I mean, that's just what mm-hmm. they do, you know. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't have that situation, which, you know, if, if you're all into the wood ducks, so good for you. You know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, like I said, I really enjoy hunting wood ducks, but I'm glad I have like the variety where I can go and hunt um, places where I'm going to have a good mallard mm-hmm. shoot or I can choose to go to these, these you know, old, old, timber flooded kind of swampy areas where i'm i know i'm gonna have a good wood mm-hmm. duck hunt yeah um i don't i don't remember what point i'm trying to make from this but <laughs> the wood ducks are awesome <laughs> yeah wood ducks are awesome. so and you know this wood so. duck conversation between jordan and i it goes extensively off air too because over at freelance hunt stats which jordan and i work on together we keep all of our hunt logs and journals and everything we are setting up a point system uh for each type of birds. So we, we had to decide, we took all of the North American ducks and we had to give them a numerical value. Um, what was six, the highest or seven, the highest numerical value. I think, I think I seven was the highest anyway. So we had this big debate on where to slot the wood duck Drake and Jordan wanted to put that wood duck Drake a lot higher. He wanted to put it the same as a mallard Drake. And I didn't. So I was like, I bet you we spent at least 30 minutes over multiple days kind of go, <laughs> Well, no, you wanted to put it at like the level of like a, a like a, a like below like gadwalls and mallard. Hens. No, no, like, no, no, that's not. No, I wanted to put it at a four, and like, you wanted to put it at like a six. Was the deal? Yeah, I think you you wanted like, <laughs> ducks. like people shoot wood ducks, <laughs> yeah, just like, like disqualify. Hey, well, I love a good wood duck uh, as far as the beauty of them and having them in your hand and everything. But the, you wanted them to be like a six and I wanted to be like a four and like a canvas back would be like a seven. If I remember right. Um, I just, yeah, I just feel like, I don't know, Matt, but anyway, we had this we long, get don't get us started. <laughs> we had this long, and I think we ended up with a, a, putting it at a five, same place as a Mallard Drake, which I think is a, it's a, is a reasonable spot for it. But anyway, this whole wood duck, you know, conversation between Jordan and I, it runs pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that update's coming out soon. For sure. With the whole numerical value. So, you know, when you log a hunt, you'll actually have a scorecard and it'll be like a point system of how many points based on different varieties. And, you know, we should call it the uh, Fumblemitz scorecard system for, for my dad. But <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that. All right. Well, you got any other updates or you want to go ahead and jump right into the podcast? Right, one more update. So I got on weather.com. Thursday, the high is 84. <laughs> Friday, the high is 46. So that is almost, that's a 38 degree different from Thursday to Friday. If that doesn't move some birds, <laughs> then nothing's going to move some birds, right? Yep. Okay. That's it. I'm just excited. Awesome. <laughs> All right, with that, let's uh, go and uh, jump to...
to a word from our partners, and we'll get to the rest of today's podcast. All right. First off, like to give a big thanks out to Boss Shot Shell. Guys, they're an American-made shell. Ella and I are both rocking those this year. Um, actually, for opener, I am going to be shooting my 20-gauge. Well, as far as I know right now, I think I'm going on a, a pretty sweet wood duck hunt. I'm going to be shooting a 20-gauge with some number 6 bismuth. Uh, Three-inch number 6s out of the old 20-gauge. That gun's never let me down. And with the power of bismuth, it's... it's uh, a really fun gun to shoot. So looking forward to that. Um, but like I said, guys, um, American made shell boss bismuth and it's copper coated, um, gives you some great density in your pattern because you can use a smaller shot with the same lethality of a, um, a bigger shot. You know, if you're going to shoot number twos at a duck or whatever, you can go up to threes or fours and have a higher density. So there's just a lot of cool stuff that goes into the boss. Um, like I said, high quality shells, and, uh, you know, definitely a, a shell that's worth the money if, if you got it. So definitely check out um, BossShotShell.com. So I got this little dog who is just over one years old, and she is laying right beside me. She's the point now in her life is like she follows me everywhere. And, uh, man, I don't know. It's I don't know if it's something about our egos as, like, hunters to, like, have this highly bred quality dog just, like, love you and follow you all over the place. I don't know. But it's pretty awesome. And so right now in my, the back of my truck is a gunner kennel strapped in all ready for that trip. And she's going to go right into that thing. If she's not in the front of the truck with me, because as I'm traveling through this weather and high winds, if anything is going to happen to the vehicle and I'm going to get in a wreck, I want this little prize of mine who is from flatlander kennels. Well, shout out to them. Cause that's an amazing place. I want her to be safe. And gunner kennel is the best way to keep your hunting dog safe. They make their products in the U S they are double walled roto mold, which I didn't even know what roto molded was when we all started this. And now I've known that I can tell you can tell when something's roto molded. Um, you can tell it is high, high quality. In fact, I got a cooler that's not roto molded and those really expensive coolers are. And it's like the difference is immense between uh, something, the sturdiness of something that's roto molded. It's, it's amazing. It's five star crash test. Get your dog a gunner kennel because you want that dog to be safe. You buy one gunner kennel and it will outlive you. You're going to be passing it down to your child. I just can't, and I don't say that lightly. I can't imagine how that product would also be like, well, my gunner kennel is no good anymore. It is made like a freaking tank. Everything about it from the hinges on the doors, everything. It is just so well built. I can't imagine outliving my gunner kennel. Duck gun 10, 10% off. Duck gun space 10. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to HDR Innovations. Um, guys, you heard us talk about the Marsh Stand and the Quack Pack and the layout and the A-frame that HDR has. Well, we got a new product here um, for HDR, and it is the HDR Waiter slash Boot Hanger. Again, it's the American-made, high-quality aluminum. It's laser-cut, and uh, you know it's got... It's got a ton of strength to it, perfect for hanging your waders up or your boots. Um, you definitely don't don't want to put your boots on or your waders on after hunt when they're wet. So hanging them upside down in your garage or in your entryway, um, it's just perfect for, for those. So definitely check them out, guys. It's a new product, like I said, over there, HDR Innovations, just fresh out this week. Um, and it goes for $25. So it's a, you know, a pretty awesome deal on those as well but when you use the code duck gun 10 at checkout over there for hdr innovations um duck gun space 10 
you get 10% off and free shipping. So definitely check those out over at hgrinnovations.com. The Motion Ducks decoy spreader system. The product code is all caps, DUCKGUN2020, no space, for 10% off. This year on my YouTube channel, Freelance Duck Hunting, you are going to see the Motion Ducks decoy spreader used on no wind days, and that's all we're going to use. We're going to use a double, maybe maybe even a triple. So it's going to be anywhere between 7 and 11 decoys, and you just – they're on these little poles. You just wing them over your shoulder. You walk them in. And I'm telling you, if the wind is below five, between zero and five, I'm going in with only this system and I'm going to try it out. And I I believe that this is going to greatly improve my success. I know for a fact, looking at freelance hunt stats, that when the wind goes between zero and five, your success rate goes down about a bird per hunt. And that is statistically a very significant number to average two ducks a hunt versus three or three versus four. That is a large number. And I truly believe, or you can come and watch me and see, but I truly believe with this, we've been talking about doing this for you. I've been talking about doing this for years with small sets with no wind, but with this seven to 11 duck spent spreader, and you can get up to 14, you can keep combining them to where one pole and they all move like a flock. And so it's going to be interesting um, on these videos that I do, I'm telling you anytime it's five or below, that's what I'm going with. And so you need to get this jerk rig system. It is something special and never again. Will this old bastard gray beard use, um, a traditional jerk rig. It's going to be motion ducks, decoy spreader. Cause it's that much, that much easier and that much better than your traditional jerk rig. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to Onyx. Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt, guys, the perfect app to use for getting property boundaries, figuring out uh, who has the ownership of private land. Uh, you know, you can mark waypoints in it. Um, like I've been saying, this week our opener's coming up, and I've been spending just hours on map doing map scouting and placing points. And tonight, you know, I just went around to all the places I'd put my points, my waypoints, and I knew exactly who owned which property um, you know, in some of these swamps or lakes, they're cut, you know, different private property owners. You can go and, and see who owns what right there on your phone and drive right to the house. It gives you the, the tax information right there on the on the app. So you if if it's a farm out in the middle of nowhere and there's not a house on it, you can figure out where the people who own that property live right from that app and go get permission. So it's perfect for private. Not only that, but out in public land, um, you're able to see which type of public land or if it's buttoned up or against private, make sure you're at the right place. So tons of, of great options to use for the Onyx, as well as they've just got this in beta. they got the 3D option, so you can kind of scroll around and see some cool cool um, uh, features on that as well. So anyways, guys, check out Onyx. Download it on your mobile, um, or you can use it on desktop as well. It's funny. I was trying to use that 3D thing, and I was like, man, this isn't really working. I'm like, uh, duh, you live in Kansas. It's all flat. <laughs> I was trying for a while. I'm like, well, uh, I'm like, idiot. It's all flat. <laughs> it's hard to make a 3D image of a flat surface. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's a cool option. Do, do you guys have enough hills where you're at that it shows up? Um, not as much, you know, where I live, but you can you can go around. Indiana's pretty flat too, agriculture mm-hmm. state, so um, but you can you can see it obviously in the places that have mm-hmm. more terrain. Yeah, it's cool looking. It's cool looking. Um, Banded Avery and GHG. Um, I got some new things in. My 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 uh, obsession 
and my my problem continues. I've got a ordered pair. I got my pair of socks came in. Uh, Georgie's vest came in. I got a little plate to go in the front of my truck. And uh, so, and the products there, just go look at them. You know, there's times in which you look at things in a catalog and you get them in your hand and they're, they're just like, well, that's not as high quality as what I thought. And I wasn't sure I'd never ordered thing, anything from Banded and these companies before. Um, I had, I was a little bit familiar with Avery and I'd had some GHG decoys, which I liked, but, but the clothing and, and the jackets and the waders and I mean, you get it in your hands. It's just really high quality stuff. It's really high quality stuff. It's the point where when it starts getting cold, it's like, I want to wear it around the house, you know? And so it's just, it's just awesome, awesome stuff. And, and I am really impressed with the waiters. Um, they just, I, they, they get such a bad rap. Those 1.0 banded that I guess they were really bad. The 2.0s are fantastic. I'm telling you, I was going through a pair every 13 hunts for about five years. I went through the tough man. I went through the, all the Cabela stuff, the neoprene and now I do have multiple pairs, so I'm going to be totally honest. It's not like I'm wearing the same pair every time, but my dad and I are wearing the same pair. We just interchange them this year and they're just, I'm not getting any leaks. I'm not getting any leaks like I did with other waiters. So go, go and check out their stuff, man. It's, it's good quality and they've got good sales. A lot of times too. go check it out. Banded.com. You can reach all three banded Avery and GHG with their, um, at that site. Awesome. All righty, let's go ahead and jump on today's podcast. So, um, like we said earlier, we're going to be talking about um, the 15 causes to um, wounded and crippling ducks and the 15 solutions as well. Um, so definitely a pretty interesting topic as hunters. Um, you know, being conservationist is definitely part of it. Um, and it's actually really cool kind of to read through this list and, you know, kind of see where I fall in all of it. And, you know, I'm not just going to take it at face value if there's something that uh, that we disagree with on it or or we kind of have uh, some pushback on, then then we'll be doing that. It won't be just straightforward kind of like reading off the list because there's some things in there that's like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And there's some things in there where it's like, yeah, that makes sense. We definitely can um, take that in consideration when we're out there hunting. So, um, yeah, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. What do yeah, you I, I do want to say one thing with, with this topic. Um, I think all of us can agree on some things going into this conversation. We can all agree that lost birds are bad. We can all agree that wounded and crippled birds are bad. Now we may not all agree on every single um, thing on this list, like Jordan said, but what I, what I did with myself on this, and this is how I ended my video is we want to challenge you to, from this list, what can you improve on to over the course of the year, cripple less birds. And, and at the end, why don't we do that, Jordan? Why don't at the end from the list, you say, here's what you're going to do to try to improve. I'll say what I'm going to do to try to improve. And we just challenge all of you people, all of you guys listening to pick something from this list and say, okay, I can get better on this particular thing to try to cripple and wound less birds. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good idea. And I'll say um, 15 is probably the one I find um most interesting on the whole list you know so it's at the very end so um but i'm definitely excited to kind of get a little back and forth with you on that one um for number mm -hmm. 15 so let's go ahead we'll start at number one um go ahead Elliot. okay I, th I think i forgot to put 15 on the list so i'm cutting that i'm actually i'm cutting that on there go ahead and hit go ahead and do number one there we'll start at 
Okay, I got it. I got okay. it. I'm good. I'm good. I, for some reason, I left it off the list. All right. So number <laughs> one is um, poor shooting skills, and 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 I'm guessing. Are you taking from this? This is this is like the order. Like this is the number one cause, and this is, or is this just? I think it's just 15 things. Oh, no, I don't no, think no, they're no. in order, are they? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think this know. is just 15. I don't think it's. This is the most important. This is say just 15. So. Um, this is poor shooting skill on the part of the hunter um, being um, a major issue for lost and wounded birds. And on here, the solution for this is we must practice regularly on clay targets with the loads we use at ranges and angles and speed of game hunted. I think those are really, really important points. I switched over two years ago. I don't shoot a bunch yeah. of clays, but I switched over to shooting steels for clay for this point. You know, when, when you're practicing, you want to be practicing with the same loads because speed makes a difference. Um, type of type of metal makes oh, yeah. a difference. And I think that's lost on a lot of people, including myself, for years and years and years. Yeah, and I'm the same way. During season, I don't want to shoot um, a different a different load and uh, I, or a different speed mm-hmm. in particular um, than I do on anything else. I like to keep them all the same speed because I know when I first started out, a big issue I had with with shooting was I'd go from and I'd shoot a bunch of clays. I'd shoot a bunch of clays. We'd go out to this place local called Back Forty, and it's a shooting sport. Um, clays and they got they got course you go through and stations and um, I just shoot a ton of clays and, and I'd get pretty pretty good at it, you know. And uh, but it just didn't correlate. You know, it's like your mm-hmm. timing was mm-hmm. was off. You, you're either over leading it or under leading it, and you know, but going from like high brass, um, or you know, whatever it is, cheap cheap loads at um, um, a shooting sports place to your duck loads that you know. And at the time, I was shooting like fast still, you know, so it's going from like twelve hundred to like yeah. fifteen fifty. It's just uh, it's just too big of a difference. So I, I'm in the same. Same boat. It's it's definitely important to shoot kind of a similar load. And, and I did something that was a little crazy even last year. I was shooting some boss shot at like pigeons, which you know, I don't recommend it. That's a lot of wasted money to shoot at pigeons. But to go into season at a prime shooting skill, and it definitely helped 100% to be shooting pigeons with the same exact load going into season because I didn't do that this year. And I could tell the difference where it's you're just off. And there's definitely a thing where you're at mid season mm-hmm. form um, on your, on your shooting. Anybody who hunts all season long by the middle of the season, and we all go through slumps, but anybody who hunts all season, just on average during the middle of the season, your shooting is going to be way better than the beginning. So um, kind of to summarize that point, it's, it's find ways to get to that mid season, um, that mid-season form kind of right at the beginning season if you can. Yeah, and I would say, and I'm curious as your opinion on this, I would rather shoot a box or two of clays with the loads that I'm using during duck season than 10 boxes of loads that are 300 feet per second slower. Yeah. No, I think I think that, uh, I think that there's something to be said about the skill of shooting, and you can learn that with, like, slower, cheap loads – but I think that I think the best way to put it is maybe you shoot those ten boxes of the crappy load to kind of get into like learning. If you're especially for beginners, learning to swing through the shot, learning to you know get on target quickly, um, 
you know, learning all that. And, and that kind of goes into that. You know, a lot of people in the shoot clays, they shoulder the gun, they aim down the barrel, then mm-hmm. they say pull. You know, if you're going to be practiced for duck hunting, you know, practice from a relaxed position, say pull, and then do your exact form all the way up to the shot. So, um, you know, that being said, I, I guess my, my thought would be it, there's nothing wrong with shooting those 10 boxes, but before season, it might be, you know, good to go through a box of your waterfowl loads on clays. Even even if it's going to be, oh, yeah, I, I spent instead of $4 here on this box, I spent 14 or whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah. You know, it's probably worth it, probably worth it to get, kind of get it dialed back in with that mm, speed. Absolutely. To- totally agree. All right. So number two on the list um, is poor distance estimation. Um and you know, I, th- I think all of us kind of fall fall prey to this at su- at some point. Um, you know, I think definitely there's there's people out there who are better at judging distance than others. But one thing, it's really hard to get that depth perception right when you're in a big open area. I think it's a little bit easier in kind of like uh, wooded areas or or timber holes where everything kind of looks clo- like it's it's boxed in. But if you're in this big wide open space, for me, that's when it gets hard to tell tell the distance compared to being um, where you got a lot of landmarks all around yeah, you. Yeah, I'd say the easiest solution for this is learn how to step off yards and practice it. So, I mean, you know, three feet equals a yard. So at some point, just practice stepping off a yard and get to the point. My dad taught me this long, a long time ago is, is how big of a step is a yard. And when you set up your spinner, step it off, step off your spinner, um, then step off to about 35, 40. And so then from there, and then if you're on open space, like Jordan said, it's a lot harder. But if, if you've got vegetation and stuff, then just think, okay, I'm looking at here's about 30, here's about 40. Think about it pre-hunt. Um, that, that is, that's the best way to um, go yeah. into a hunt knowing the distances, having stepped them off. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of hard sometimes mm-hmm. to step it off mm-hmm. in certain places. I think really the best solution is to put a rangefinder in your bag. You can get a cheap rangefinder. Um, and, and kind of the last the last comment that they have on the solution here is stop guessing. And I mean, when I think about it, it's like, yeah, I guess we all do guess. Oh, that mm-hmm. looks about X amount of yards. Oh, that looks about. Um, but you just you have no way of telling if you didn't walk it off or you didn't range it. And I've I've hunted with people who brought rangefinders. I don't think I've ever bought. I, I think I've brought mine. I've never actually used it when I brought it though. Um, so it's like you said, you can walk it off, and you know. Uh, if, if you're a golfer, a lot of golfers are really good at walking off distances because you got to use different clubs, at different distances and all that. So, um, you know, I, I, that's where I learned how to walk off, um, yardages, but you know, as hunters, I bet more hunters probably have a range finder than are, are good at, at walking off distances. Yeah. So, um, you know, put that range finder in there. You can range your last decoy. That's another good thing. Put your, your furthest decoy at 30 yards and you want to shoot, you know, you, you, don't want to shoot anything that's further out than that, you know, or whatever, you know, kind of whatever you can use for a distant measurement on that. Yep. All right. Number three is using the wrong load or choke um, is causes a lot of extra wounding birds. And when we've talked about this so much, the type of the type of chokes that, that we're, that we use. And um, my statement on the video was and I, I couldn't believe I was actually saying this, but it's true. I, I've really come to this conclusion <laughs> that I would, for the most part, rather people use full chokes because 
I think most people shoot beyond 45 yards um, somewhat consistently. I, I would, And so if you are ever going to shoot past 45 yards, you need to have a full choke in because modified chokes are not lethal outside, are not consistently lethal outside of 45 yards. And I'm sure there's some guy, well, I can shoot my modified at 60. Yeah, okay, shut up, whatever. Um, but if you if you if you shoot outside of 45, bring a full because it's better to shoot a full choke in close than it is to shoot a improved or modified out far. For sure. For for absolutely yeah, sure. That's a great that's a great mm-hmm. way of saying it. For sure. And and kind of to kind of to add on to the other part of that, the wrong load. And as a beginner, I definitely fell um I followed this one for sure. And I remember on a certain year, I bought just a case of number twos, and that was going to be my all-around budget shell. I was going to use it for big duck and for goose. Well, along came early till season, and I'm shooting number twos at till. So that's definitely a good way to wound some birds because your pattern is not going to be um, – it's not you're not going to have a dense enough pattern as far as uh, how your shell is going to pattern going into those birds. And the till's so small that it can find a hole – in your pattern pretty easy when you're shooting number two. So um, that's that's kind of the thought on that. You know, on a teal, you can go up to number six, number seven, um, and still be good. Mm-hmm. All right. So number four is failure to pattern test your shotgun and loads properly. Um, and, again, I, I can say that I've failed on all of these at some point in my hunting career. Um, as a beginner, somebody going into it fresh without really a mentor – um, I think you're going to fall prey to a lot of these. You're going to fall um, unless you have someone who's teaching you and, and telling you differently. Uh, but, um, you know, I got a story about <laughs> buying a couple cases of shells, which don't do that. Don't buy cases of shells before you pattern it. And then they just didn't pattern well out of my gun at all. And so I just, and I still just, that that's what I bought. So I hunted with it for that season um, and my shooting was terrible. I wasn't, I wasn't knocking down birds because it just had such a terrible pattern out of my gun. I'm not going to say any brands or anything like that, but that that's definitely something that you want to do. You want to find shells that work great through your gun. They give you the right pattern, you know, different shot sizes, whatever you have to do, um, opposed to just buying a case of whatever, um, you know, definitely test out different sizes, different you know, different shell links, whatever, and try to find whatever works best and gives you that great pattern out of your gun. All right. Number five is shooting beyond your maximum personal shooting skill distance. Every hunter has their kind of maximum effective range. And the only way to find out what yours is, is to shoot your gun and your loads at various distances to find out when your skill runs out. And that way you can also improve. I mean, if you want to shoot shots at 35, 40 yards and you get proficient at, at that distance, right? So knowing I, I, yeah. I feel pretty comfortable inside of 40. Um, I think that I'm, I'm pretty, pre, I, I'm, I would consider myself a good shot inside of 40. I've never been very good at knowing how to lead and, and outside of like, you know, beyond 45 specifically. And so I know that's one reason why my dad and my shots um, selection became so conservative is because we just have never been overly proficient at, at those farther shots. So, and, and that's a little bit of hit on the ego. I mean, you have to be like, well, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm left eye dominant. So I have to close one eye when I shoot and 
I'm just not great at long shots. And, and I don't, I don't want to shoot long shots because I think it's more fun to have them in your face too. But you know, just know, know your distance and, and conform to that. Yep. And then, um, kind of six is, is pretty similar. It's just, uh, shooting beyond your maximum distance capability, um, of meeting minimum pattern density. So it just goes, uh, it's pretty much don't shoot far shots with Mm -hmm. like an improved cylinder, right? If you're shooting an improved cylinder, well, you're not lethal once you hit, uh, you know, 30 yards, depending on your shot size and, and whatever it goes into the shell you're shooting. So, um, you know, knowing that if you decide to put that, that choke in because you know you're going to be working birds close, well, you can't all of a sudden decide you're going to take a passing shot at 40 yards um, because you're frustrated mm-hmm. on the hunt because you're just going to end up having a, a pattern that's not dense at all. There's a, a lot of holes in it, and maybe you, you put a couple pellets into the bird that's passing by because the BBs still have the vo- velocity, but you don't have the pattern density to knock down the bird consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to be, it's hard to be disciplined. If you put an improved and you're sitting there and two and a half, three hours go by and you haven't killed anything and something comes by at 45 yards and it it circles and circles and won't finish. And finally, like, Oh man, I'm gonna take this shot at 45. You know, you've got an approved cylinder in, it's really, really hard to be disciplined. So if you don't have the discipline to really control your shot selection, that needs to go into your I can't believe I'm advocating for full choke so much, but it's really kind of, it's really kind of coming full light for me about what I, I think most hunters need to use a full choke, Jordan. I I really do. Cause I, it's just, it's all these years of me harping on you. I don't know. We've talked about it so much. And I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I believe that most hunters shoot on every hunt beyond 45. Well, on mo- and I didn't use every consistently take 45 yard shots, whether it's your third shot or whether it's just, you know, I don't think people gauge distance properly. I think they think what they think is 40 is really 50. If you're ever going to shoot out past 45, what you need in your gun is full choke. Now, because improved and modified at that distance is not proficient. So, but I will, I, I'm not going to shoot that far. So I always want to modify it in mine personally. And I, I think. Sounds like a. Sounds like you're you've just been watching a lot of Kansas what, hunters. What I think, okay, what I think is a waterfowler should shoot a modified choke, and a waterfowler should limit his range to inside of forty five yards. And the and those thirty five to forty five yard shots should be the exception, not the rule. I think a waterfowler should be shooting the vast majority of their shots at birds inside of thirty five yards. That being said, I don't think that's I don't, what they do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a pushback. I don't think that most. I don't think that most do that. That just regularly shoot over 45. I would say that most take a shot now and then that's more than 45. I don't know what percentage it falls at, but I, I just don't feel like it's most because the people I hunt with, and I, I've hunted with a lot of people, and a lot of people I don't hunt with from like week to week, you know. Um, and I don't know anybody in those groups that takes shots that like most of the time that's over 45. No, well, I, well hold so on, I hold on. If, like, you're you're misunderstanding. Like, you're misunderstanding. I am not saying that most of the shots that they shoot are over 45. I'm saying on most hunts, there are some shots over 45. Now I'm not, I'm not saying shot number one's over 45. If you take shot number one at 35 and those birds and on a windy day, 
If you, if you take, even if you start shooting at a bird at 30 on a windy day and you unload a lot of times that those birds can get out fast, you start paying attention to people's third shot and that we're going to talk about that later here, but your third shot is I, I will, I'm going to stick with it consistently on it, hunt in and hunt out hunters will shoot shots over 45. And, and I think that's mostly on their third shot. And I think that on people don't, it goes back to people don't judge distance properly. I, th- I don't even think that they think they're doing it. I think they're shooting a lot of 50 to 55 and they think it's 40 to 45. That that's what, that's what I think. So if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think that I am. And I think you need to bring that range finder when you come up to Kansas and we, we can do some distance. So I'm not saying people are intentionally shooting outside of 45. I'm saying shot number three, lots of times it's outside of 45. Uh, and that's true for, most hunters. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know if I buy it. I, I mean, I get your reasoning, but to say most hunters, like more than 50%, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just, it just depends who you hunt with, I guess, or, or cert, or if you're just assuming that other people you don't hunt with hunt in a different way. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm just giving you a little bit of, well, and I, I'm that. not demonizing the, and I want to make this clear. I'm not demonizing these people. I, I'm saying that I probably do it some too on my third. Well, I, I've gotten really good at limiting my third shot. I've, I've been really, really dedicated and focused to not taking the shirt third shot to the point where I get criticized about that on, on YouTube. But uh, so <laughs> you get, you get criticized for not even yeah, taking your first too. shot though. Um, <laughs> so I am not, I'm not demonizing this saying that most people that are doing this are habitual skybusters. I'm saying the average guy, when they start pulling the trigger, they shoot all three shots. Would you say that's true or false? Yeah. No, I definitely, I would definitely agree that a lot of people just, when they start shooting, mm-hmm. they don't stop. And actually, I was going to bring that up in kind of our, in one of the segments. So let me, here, let me, let me, let, let me, let me, fin- let me finish that. Let me finish the thought and then you, you can go. Okay. And I think that it is really, really difficult to get birds feet down inside of 30 yards. That is, that is not easy to do. I'm not talking passing through the decoys. I'm talking backpedaling down. If you get a bird inside of 30 and you know, it's backpedaling feet down, all three shots are going to be close because they've got to go in reverse. If you get a bird coming through the decoys and it's flying at full speed, let's say it's flying 35 miles an hour, which is 35 to 45 is kind of the speed range. Or if you get a flock coming through at that distance, if you start taking your first shot at 30, are you telling me that that there's not if it's a flock or even a single let's say you start taking your first shot of 35 that those birds that that oftentimes they're not outside of 45 by shot number 3? Yeah, no, I I definitely can see I can see some of that. And I think that comes down to like public versus private. Unlike private it really isn't that hard to get birds feet down all the way in the decoys. Like you mean standing up in some of our private blinds and they just come mm-hmm. coasting in. You know, and so those, you, you don't really have to worry mm-hmm. about that, right? But public land, I can see that. Public land out there, bad concealment, you're not finishing birds. And then you're going to have, I can see, you know, if you're watching hunters like that, that don't know what they're doing, you might get that misconception. Or, But I'm not you know, saying that hunters like I that that don't know what they're doing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when when you start shooting at 30 and you're emptying your gun, there's a lot of times you're shooting outside of 45. I'm not saying that someone that doesn't know what they're yeah. doing. Uh, I'm saying that that I believe that's to be commonplace, and I, I'm not again. I'm not demonizing that person. I'm just saying that if that's taking place, you need to have a full choke in. And I'm saying it's taking place quite a bit, 
And so you need to have full choke in. If, if that shot number three is at 50, some, let's say three shots a hunt, you shoot, you shoot uh, the third shot at 50. You need to have full choke in when you, when you hunt. Yeah. So I get, I guess if you're, if you're saying that most hunters take one shot that ends up being over 45 yards per hunt, then yeah, I could probably go. I would say probably more than one, but that, that, but I'm saying that last swing third shot oftentimes is over 45. No, and there's, and to kind of, kind of go back to something you said, you know, with the three shot thing, uh, where I saw like a, a recent post on one of the social medias and it was like, uh, and it was called like duck camp rules or something like that. And one of the rules was that when you start firing, you don't stop till all your shots are yeah. done. <laughs> Which when I read that, yeah, like, that's awful a terrible rule. rule. Awful rule. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a terrible rule. That's spray and pray. Um, that that's part so, of spray but, and pray mentality. Yeah, yeah. So the only thing, the last thing I'll say about it, and just don't take it the wrong way, but when you're when you're saying like uh, as far as like distance and saying that you think people are misjudging distance mm-hmm. in general. I don't know. It just comes across like how I think that I'm sure there's some of that, but I don't know. I, I just think it, it comes across as like, how, how can we say that we know how to judge distance, but nobody else does. And I don't think that you can say that most hunters don't know how to judge, judge distance. You know, a lot of hunters are probably deer hunters as well. Another, another person that can probably judge distance very well or deer hunters um, because especially bow hunters, not gun hunters as much because it doesn't matter as much with a, with a rifle opposed to, um, you know, bow hunting, but obviously they have a range finder at the time, or at least most hunters, mm-hmm. you have to have a range finder so you can set your pin and all that stuff. Um, but I don't know. I just don't think that. Well, know. in what, okay. So tell me over this. That, all right. Over time, what purpose would the human species have for being able to accurately judge distance looking into the sky. How, how would that, how would that trait and why would that trait have evolved in us over time? There's no reason for it. We have, we have no reason to be good at judging distance at moving targets through the sky. So even if you use a rage finder, I mean, but that's why we have two eyes. Depth, depth perception, perception and, and yeah, sure, we have depth perception, but that's the difference between being able to be like, oh, that's forty instead of fifty. Ten yards is not is not a it's not a a long distance, okay? And you're talking about small objects in a sky with no background, so there's no there's no even point of reference, right? Now, if if they're really low to the ground, it's better. There's a point of reference. And maybe on shot number one, when you say, okay, they're inside of the, you know, there's a point of reference, but when you're talking about birds flying 35 to 45 miles an hour, and you're talking about, you're looking into a sky with, with no, no frame of reference of the background, and maybe you have some trees or, or, or whatever. I'm saying that the, the, our species is not adapt to that type of split second telling the difference between 40 and 50 yards. You're at, you're asking our eyes to do I mean, something. I, our, I'm well, hold still, still going to give you some. Your eyes are not <laughs> evolved to do that properly. So I, I'm not saying, well, I can just judge distance and I can, I'm not, I can't either. That's why I don't shoot. A, I try not to shoot my third shot because knowing how far that third shot is, whether it's a difference between 40 and 50, come on. That, that is a difficult thing. And our, I, I'm just saying our eyes are not as a species adapt to doing but, that. 
I'm, I'm still going to give you pushback on it, but we're going to get we're going to get carried matter. away on I'll, the weeds. I'll go for it. So it I'm going to say this, and then it. we'll. Okay. Yeah. No. I'm going to say this, and then we'll just move on to the next one. So, but the fact that midseason, we'll talk, we'll go jump to back to midseason form. It goes to like people who do like traditional archery and are able to to just without like a sight and all that. You know, they're able to pull off a shot. One in a million. Person. They call it with, with. No, it's not. It's not one in a million. It's anybody who does traditional Can, archery. Because you don't have a piece okay. Well, okay, I was it, right? I was thinking so like throwing. Do, I I was thinking something like throwing a lifesaver up in the air and busting it out of there. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm not. Oh, yeah, not even to that level. I'm just saying, like instinctive shooting. That's a good way to talk about shotgunning mm-hmm. as well. It's instinctive shooting, and so by midseason form, when you're able to whip your shotgun up and at 35, 40 yards, hit that bird for the most part right away. You know, it, it just goes to show how well we can judge a bird coming in and, and I mean, you, and you can see it on, you know, Titus is a great example of that. I mean, he hits a ton mm-hmm. of passing shots it. on just first He's shot. He whips it. it up, bam, and he drops them, you know? And, and the fact that you can do that mid season form is your body having that ability. You have two eyes, your depth perception. And if it's 40 yards and 50 yards and you can't tell the difference, well, that's you missing the bird or crippling it. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm <laughs> if it, if it's obviously if it's out further you're going to probably cripple it. I'm just saying that like the fact that you can actually do that. Yeah. And, you know. Okay. That's those are those are fair points. This uh, So, I'm listening. <laughs> I I'm going to I'm going to err on the know. side of being as ethical as possible. So, what I'm saying is that full choke should be used more than what I previously thought because of because the chance of I, I think that not crippling birds should be one of our number one goals from the second that we step onto a marsh from the second that we step on. It needs to be in your mind and you need to be thinking about it because leaving crippled, crippled and wounded just, birds around is just a horrible, horrible thing. And so I, I would say yeah, I'm, I'm lean on the side of if you're not sure, put it in a full choke. Yeah. I mean, but there has to be, there has to be a, a line we draw, obviously. And I'm finding more, I, I'm just finding ways to try to derail this podcast. I don't know why. No, I think but, the, uh, I enjoy this. <laughs> everything you think of, I, we, we're, we're, yeah, we're just getting a little friendly back and forth. But if our number one priority is to not cripple birds, then just don't shoot your gun, right? Um, but there's obviously a line we have to draw between that because it does happen, right? Obviously from, from the studies and all that. And we're talking about ways to minimize it. So yeah, I shouldn't have the um, poor, poor choice you know, of words on one my part. Poor. I shouldn't have. Let, let me, let me rephrase <laughs> that. Let me rephrase that. Okay. When we step on the marsh, we need to be thinking about ways to minimize crippling birds. And it needs to be a part of our consciousness yeah. to what we're doing when we're out there. I think that's I, certainly saying our number one, you're right. I'm glad you called me out on that. Cause that's not, I want to be literal with the words I use. And that was too strong of an emotional statement. So I appreciate I appreciate you setting me right on that. It needs to be in our consciousness. That's, it needs to be in our for. consciousness <laughs> on hunt by hunt basis. No. How can we not cripple birds? It needs to be in our consciousness. How about that? Yeah, no, I, I would I would say the best way that that I would kind of say it is that there's just um, there's some people out there that are just flippant mm-hmm. about hunting. And we'll say the same thing. There's kind of a reverence when it comes to shooting like a, a big Roosevelt elk mm-hmm. or something like that, where we talk about 
um, you know, taking a good clean shot, making sure you have the good a good shot, um, you know, doing everything ethical. But a lot of times we, we don't have the same conversations about duck hunting and, and all that. Yeah. And I don't know why, um, you know, it's kind of not valued the same. And I think it just, for whatever reason, as humans, when we see size, something that an animal with size is just valued more, um, you know, or, or, or maybe quantity and, and elk are definitely, you know, an animal that's very, um, got a mystique around it. Right. And so, yeah, you know, and we, we as duck hunters, we, we love, obviously we mm-hmm. love ducks. So, um, it's up to us to, <laughs> to, to do our part. Yeah, I for think it. ducks should have that mystique. If you, if you not like an elk. Okay. But if you love and have a passion for waterfowl and you get that bird in your hands and you admire it, they should have more of a mystique. And I'm sure that they do for lots of you guys, but they should They're They are yeah. absolutely finely tuned, magnificent creatures. And, and from everything they do from, from what goes on inside of the egg to instinctually knowing the migration and, and coming back to the same nesting spots and the, the distance they travel and imagine them all blowing in on these North winds. They are just magnificent, magnificent creatures. Yeah. All right. So next one we got is, um, wait, I think it's the next seven, eight, nine. Is, it's, it's lumped um, into one. So it's, um, actually okay. shooting, okay. So not, okay. not shooting into flocks, not shooting the front bird in a flock and taking and not taking going away shots beyond 30 yards, which that's a little bit say not, you know, not beyond 30 yards. That's pretty, I don't know. (laughs) That's asking a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, Am I supposed to be breaking down? No, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. I've lost track. Okay. So I'm shooting into flocks. Um, honestly, these are hard ones to swallow. I'm not going to lie. Shooting in flocks. I mean, we all love finishing big flocks of birds. Um, you know, shooting at the first bird, usually the first bird is the easiest, but I mean, I guess at a distance, we've all seen where you shoot at a bird and, um, or you've seen someone shoot at a bird and a bird further down the line or, or you heard of it, whatever, you know, um, where that does happen. So if that's happening, you could be spraying pellets and, and two other birds beyond it. So, um, you know, I guess this one he's trying, the thought is to, um, you know, take shots at birds that are kind of separate from the flock if you can. So you're not getting any collateral damage, but I'll, I'll definitely say for me, this one's probably the hardest one we've talked about. Hardest pill to swallow because, uh, um, we all love shooting at flocks and I, a lot of times I shoot mm-hmm. at the first bird. So I don't know. What do you think on this? Yeah. I, well, I think we need to define what shooting into flocks means. I don't, I don't, I don't, if you're going to say, okay, I've got 20 mallards cupping into the decoys and they're backpedaling. I'm like, no guys don't shoot. Yeah. That's not going to take place. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you that. But I think that if you think of like the geese that we talked about earlier and you think of, you know, a big bundle of geese and they're not finishing and they're at about 50 yards and all of you jump up. I think this is kind of part of the spray and pray thing, right? That becomes shooting into a flock, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we hear people use the term you f- flock shooting yes. where you couldn't pick out yeah. a bird. So this kind of goes to mm-hmm. a skilled hunter, I guess, and, at that point. And I guess I was mis- misrepresenting I what, think so. what he was I think, suggesting I think so. with it. And it can so, be yeah. hard if you get... Uh, especially you get like a little flock of green wings. I mean, you get 40 green wings in December, whipping around a corner of your decoys. 
picking out a bird becomes a real challenge. And you kind of instinctually, you have to train yourself. And I still make this mistake. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I flock shot on that one. I mean, I, I bet I say that once a year where it's like, you just freak out. It's like the targets are so intertwined, right? And um, and so you just kind of shoot yeah. into the group. And with a shotgun, you're going to put, shell, put shot into mul- multiple birds. So I think the key is really try to laser focus and pick out an individual bird. And then like goose hunting out of A-frames, and, you know, I don't know, guys, should we take them? And everyone gets out and unloads the gun. That's shooting into a flock. That's the spray and pray thing um, right there in action, you know, sp- just spraying into into a group. And shooting the front a bird of a flock, you know, I, I get what he's saying. I think that's more for divers. Um, I-, I definitely had about, I think it was eight or so, maybe it's five to eight um, blackjacks come through one time and I shot it at the first bird and I killed the last one. So, you know, I, I guess I can see that ultimately when I come up and decide to shoot whatever bird I think I'm, I'm going to easily kill, I'm, I'm going to most easily kill. And, and the, and the flying away beyond 30, if something's 35 and it's flying away, I'm going to take that shot. You know, so I, I'm with you though. This is not my favorite of yep. the rules other than the, sh- the flock shooting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of, you know, kind of side point on that. And, and, um, well, no, all okay. right. I'm just going to move to the next one. No side point. Okay. Um, so this one, another one, I think that this one definitely could, the article could mm-hmm. take some pushback on this one. Cause I definitely don't 100% agree with it. And it says, um, more than 200 shooting simultaneous mm-hmm. si- simultaneously. Um, and they're saying that's the result. You get more crippled birds. And so, you know, I think a lot of times the bigger group gets a lot of times the, the more non-experienced hunters you're inviting. So that might be what they've got from their study there. Um, definitely non-experienced hunters, you know, in a bigger group is a bad, um, well, not a good thing. And uh, and this is one other thing, kind of when I was reading this article that I, I felt needed some breakdown because obviously all these things kind of say, hey, be a better hunter and you will cripple less birds. But how do we introduce new hunters into the sport? Because um, obviously they're going to, you know, cripple more birds than say somebody who's been hunting their whole life. So there's obviously some give and take. And and I think, you know, that's something to think about with all this too. They've got to learn, they've got to get to the point. And I think, I guess, you know, going over the solutions for these things with, with a new hunter is a a good place to start. Um, You know, I'm getting a little off topic on, on this category, but two hunters, again, I think if you have a group of really proficient hunters, um, then it's just, Hey, if you know what you're doing and you have four people, you're more spread out. So you might not have, you might not have the best shots in front of you. Maybe the birds finished on the right side, you know? Um, but you know, if you're with a really, really, um, I mean, I can think of really good hunters that I'd be fine hunting a group of four, um, hunters and not having to worry about that at all. So, and it, so I think it just goes to, yeah, it definitely gets harder. Just, just make the good decisions though. Um, you know, if you got more hunters, you don't have to take the shot when someone says, take them. If you don't have a shot, you know, if birds are, are flaring off to the right, you're far left. And then you have birds that you're going to be shooting up the butt as they exit. And that's your only shots. Well, just don't, don't shoot. Or maybe just pull the trigger right when they're in front of you. And when they flare off to the side, well, you don't need to keep blasting, you know, let the guys on the other side finish those birds. And, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, we've had hunts where, if you have multiple people or larger groups, you're just not going to have the birds that finish in front of you. And, and that's just how the hunt's going to go. 
you might not get as many birds as the guy on the right side who just happens to be in the better the better shooting lane for the day. Yeah, I think this one. They, if I were, I think you could rewrite this one in a better way because when you say more than two, it's like you got four guys hunting. Again, twenty mallards cup in. Bill and Frank, you guys aren't shooting on this one. We're only two guys shooting at a time. Like, come on, everyone's going to shoot. <laughs> so, but yeah. I think the point being is that, and I heard the the swamp man in one of, in one of the videos that he filmed. He's like, you know, shoot your lanes, right? Shoot your lanes. Be be careful at what you're pulling yeah. the trigger on, and do not spray into flocks. He says, when this happens, there is a tendency to spray shot around rather than aiming at specific birds. When you got eight guys in a frames. And you've got those big flocks of geese. I go back to it because I think that's when it happens more than anything when just shot gets sprayed. Um, and that's the spray and pray mentality right here. This is the one where it's like, man, there are about 55 of these geese. Let's just spray into them. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do, right? And everyone, everyone unloads. That is spray and pray. And um, that needs to not happen. Just because you have eight guys, you still need to be careful. And I, I personally am not a fan of, of hunting eight guys. And I, I think you're going to run into more more problems with this type of thing um, when you have that many. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's just being thoughtful about it. Just because you have eight guys doesn't mean you can throw a wall of steel into a flock and down a couple because the damage that you're doing is immense. So be careful with with how everyone is shooting and shooting your lanes and and aiming at a specific bird. I think that's the the underlying message. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with enlarged parties taking right, turns. Listen. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, we take turns all the time on singles. You know, I mean, you don't have to make it a race. You're like, okay, Jordan, this is your turn. If this is, I say, we say it all the time. All right, Jordan, if it's your bird, um, you get first shot. Well, that means if Jordan goes bam and that bird doesn't crumple, you're okay to shoot. So it can go bam, bam, right? I mean, you, but you can take some turns or if there's, hey, if, if it's a pair, you two guys just take the pair. That's actually really fun because then you know that you're the one that's dropping the bird instead of there's five guys and two birds and everyone's unloading on them, right? So taking turns can actually in, in, increase the enjoyment of the hunt as well, I think. Yep. Uh, yep. All right, so, this next one's you. I, I, this is like the yep. common sense rules. Um, these involve retrieving strategies, dropping birds into heavy cover, well, be careful how when where you set up as far as how how thick the cover is. Um, failure to use swatter loads, and I've never used a swatter load. I've heard about people doing that before. It's like you get a really small, like you get sixes or sevens, and you keep them in your belt. And if you got wounded cripples on the water, you put those in real quick. Um, not doing the right things when a bird is down, and not using a trained dog. And and I I personally, when I have a bird down, I want to retrieve it, and le- unless the action's insane. I, I personally don't like the whole let five or six birds get on the water and then go pick them up later. When I shoot something, I want it in my hand. I want to see it. I'm nervous. I'm going to forget one and, and, um, and, and one might be wounded. You don't know about. So all just basic retrieving strategies and, and, and having a dog certainly is going to be a massive improvement to how many birds you lose. Yeah, no, definitely. If you've never hunted with a dog, that's like, I don't know. I just don't know how people do it without a dog. Really? Um, without losing just tons of birds over the season. It's just, it's, it's really almost <laughs> a different sport with a dog um, than without just the, oh, that's probably an overreach to what I'm saying too. It, when you, when you get the bond <laughs> of a dog and you hunt with a dog every day, then hunting without just doesn't feel the same. That's the way to say it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then I guess okay. So like I said, these are the common sense rules. It's like yeah, shoot birds where you can see them. Um, pick up birds if they're crippled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, I, I will say that that there has been hunts where you know early on, and again, um, you know, it's just people's different styles of hunting. You know, people I hunted with. And we didn't pick them up right away because we didn't want to get out of the blind when the other birds are working. But if you got a crippled bird, it's like, well, I, I screwed up. I, I took it like, and and this is one thing that I've kind of, we, we're, it's like we need to come up with a strategy. And we've we've started as my group to come up with a strategy because we end up in this dilemma where you've shot birds early, and then you mm-hmm. still got birds working, and so you don't want to lose those birds. And we've definitely been bit in the butt before in the in the past. You know, you might lose a bird because um, you don't get out and get it right away, and, and it ends up that one's crippled. So it's like we talked about this going up to the central opener. Um, me and Swamp Man and and Brock who's with us, and um, you know, I said, you know, hey guys, like first light, you know, let's be more conservative. Um, only take shots right over the decoys, and you know, um, that way at first light when we have all that action, we don't have to get out of the blind at all. We can shoot the birds and the dogs can get them or we can choose to leave them there opposed to shooting a bird that's a passing shot and it goes lands in thick vegetation over to, to your left and ended up we do it we did that you know we were just conservative and and we didn't end up getting any shots because we were be, being conservative and we didn't end up finishing them right in front of us but you know i think that's a really good strategy kind of moving forward first light your first 30 minutes um if you're only taking those shots right in front of you where you're going to see where the bird falls right in front of you, you can either choose for the dog to have a super easy retrieve where they just go there and back. Um, or if it's just laying belly up in the decoys, you don't have to get it because you know it's right there. Uh, opposed to doing like these chase arounds where you're chasing a cripple with a dog, you're flaring these flocks that were wanted to finish at first light when all, all your best action is. So th- definitely things to think about all across the board on here. Um, but... The last one we got here is not counting lost birds to your bag limit. And this one's a really super interesting one because I know this is is controversial across the board. I, w- I wouldn't say controversial. I-, I would say this is not widely adapted adopted across across um, the waterfowl mm-hmm. community. Um, you know, it's not even it's not a straight mm-hmm. a state regulation. And I don't know if it is in any state. I know that none of the states that I've hunted in make you count a bird to your limit. Um, you know, the, the regulation will be, you have to put in, um, I I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like, Hey, you, you better try really hard to find this bird. If you don't, then, uh, you know, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So, (laughs) um, and that's kind of where it's at. Try to find this bird, do everything, go to your full extent to make sure you try to find the bird. Um, if you, if you knocked a bird down and if you don't, you can keep hunting and, and fill your limit. And, um, I mean, I know that uh, in the past, um, I haven't counted birds to my limit because that's not the way I was taught, you know. So honestly, I, I've heard people say, "Hey, oh yeah, if we if we knock one down, then we just count it towards the limit." I don't, where do you fall? I have it? gone back and forth. So I always thought that you legally had to, and for a long time, that's what we thought. So we always counted it. Then we found out you don't legally have to, but it's just kind of considered. We asked the game wardens and like, well, it's considered um, kind of unethical if you don't count it, but there's no law. So it's just kind of like, you know, on your honor. So then we made the rule that we made was 
if if you lose it right at, and right out in front of the decoys in a situation where you might find it later, you count it. If let's say that you know something, it's some a bird sails so far away, you know, and to to the point where you can't even try to retrieve it or something, but you know it went down. We don't. We wouldn't count that. Um, or if it's like flying clear over the trees and you're like, Oh, I think that's going down, you know, then we don't count it. But here, here's the situation we had a rise. Not, not that this year, this happened this year. Um, so uh, there was a bird that was sailed and well, I'd say it had a leg down and it traveled up over a hedgerow and never saw it go down. Um, figured that it probably went down, but never saw it go down, but it was probably 150 yards away, you know? Um, where we last saw it, but it was still flying the last time we saw it. Right. And so, um, we did not count that towards our limit as we were walking out. Um, we were walking, it was in between us and the vehicle and we got like three fourths of the way to the vehicle, like way farther than what I even would have thought that this bird would have been. And, and there it was and all of a sudden, man, there's a wounded bird. And so we assumed that that was our bird. And so Aiden threw shells in his gun and was trying to shoot it and trying to get it and everything. And, and we never did. Um, it was, it was just too alive. Well, when we got back to the parking lot, there was a game warden, a federal, a federal agent, no state agent in the park, in the parking lot. And she checked us everything. And she's like, we all had our limit. Right. And she's like, well, you know, well, why were you trying to kill that cripple? And, uh, I was like, well, it, it was cripple. And she's like, you have, you've got your limit. And, and like, well, if it's a crippled bird, I want to put it out of its injury. It's like a limit's a limit. She's like a limit's a limit. And, uh, and so we went this back one. It's like, well, ma'am, you know, I'm sorry. I understand that. But if I see a bird that's suffering and crippled, I'm going to dispatch it. She's like, look, a limit's a limit. Had we, had we actually, so (laughs) you run, you, you run the risk of running into situations like that where you don't find the bird. Then you don't count it towards your limit, and then you do find the bird. So now, now you're either going, you're you're automatically illegal if you do that. Are you going to mud stomp it? Are you going to carry it out over your limit? And so, if if you do that enough, you will end up running into that situation. So when that happened, um, unless I know hundred percent, there is absolutely no way that we will ever find that bird. I'm I'm counting it towards my limit. It's just easier. That was an uncomfortable situation because morally we thought we were doing what was right. And she was not happy. She was, she, it was a little late. She was not happy. And what do you say to that? She's right. So you run, you run the risk of those situations. It's like morally, morally you're right, but Mm -hmm. uh, legally you're wrong. So yeah, Yeah, it puts you in a weird spot and kind of, kind of to go on the, the morals of it, kind of just thinking about it, you know, um, you know, how is it more wasteful? Just, I'm, again, I'm not advocating for this, but I'm just kind of fully fleshing this out. Um, the thoughts on it, you know, for counting the birds, but how is it more, or how is it less wasteful to count a bird to your cripple opposed to, you know, taking another one that you're going to eat, you know, uh, either way, there's yeah. still a cripple. Out yeah. There, right? But you're I killing one so, extra. I mean, they, they set limits. Yeah. You know, you would think for a reason, for a harvest reason, right? And so, mm-hmm. but I guess that I'd also would assume that they account for cripples in the mm-hmm. limit. They don't say, "Oh, these are the number of birds they're going to be like." These are the mm-hmm. numbers plus the cripples. Uh, unfortunately, because that's a little, you know, it's not what you want, but that's a reality, and they have to account for that, or else the population will sure. be going. And then, down but then fast. they turn around and say so, that hunter's harvest has no effect on populations. You know, so it's like, <laughs> all right, well. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so the, I th- I definitely think it's a gray area. Um, like I don't want to do something that's considered uh, morally and ethically. Like I feel like if it if it's something that's wrong, they should just make that the law. But I guess at the end of the day, they can't police. Well, it's it, hard right? to judge so, sometimes whether um, you know was that wounded, was that not wounded? Did I was that wounded enough to count? It seemed like it was kind of yeah. wounded. I mean, you know, and there's a difference between dropping something right out in front of you. I think if you drop something right out in front of you and it's just in the weeds within a 50 yard radius, you need to count that because either that or you're like, well, you know, right now I'm kind of not counting it. But if you get up to that fifth bird, I don't know. I mean, you're just run, you're just running into a real risk of, of getting fined and getting, you know, and, or getting yourself into a, a moral dilemma. Hmm. Yeah, definitely interesting one. I'd be really interested. Actually, I'm going to make a pool on the fellowship of the duck gun. We'll have to make sure we actually do it this time because sometimes we say it and they don't go up there. But I want to know what percentage of people, I wish I could make it anonymous because some people might um, not want to say, you know, what they do or not, but uh, the number of people who actually count it or don't. So interesting um, because I know a lot of people that I hunt with just, if you don't find it, mm-hmm. you just keep hunting and you, know, you just count what you actually yeah, sure. And so, another thing to think about, um, like we keep track of our numbers, right? So at the end of the hunt, you're logging your numbers like, well, let's see, I shot seven and I lost one. So you're actually logging that you killed seven birds, which, you know, so what if you lose two now? You're like, well, I shot, I shot eight. I lost two, you know, and, and I have had times in which where I didn't count them and I run into that and I'm like, man, this just doesn't seem right that it's like, because then it's like, well, how many birds did you shoot this hunt? Well, I shot seven. I shot nine, and I lost three. You know, I mean, there's it's so it just I don't know. You're it it's a it, there's a lot to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot to it. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty well wraps it up. Um, I guess you said at the beginning we're gonna pick out ones that we're gonna. Um, Yes, let's do that. Let's let's say one or two from the list that I want every all of you guys to do this. What's one thing that you can do to improve the number of birds that you cripple or lose? I'm gonna um, I'm gonna increase my maximum lethal range with practice. (laughs) Well, no, I mean that's not that much of a joke. I mean, you know, if if I went out and practiced on you know sporting clays or whatever and i got to the point where at 55 i was just deadly i might i might increase my you know that yeah well well here's the thing obviously it goes back to the choke and now we're going to get back into it. it goes to the choke restriction and all that and there's some people who are just really good shots better than others and it's like you said you got to know your limits again i don't want to advocate for taking further shots because the majority of people can't do this but and i don't know if this guy was just like a really good shot or if it's just his day to shine um, but I remember we went out and shot some clays, and one of these guys, um, he had a, a turkey choke in his gun. He just forgot that he had mm-hmm. his turkey choke in his gun. We're shooting sporting clays, right? And I'm over here with, like, my improved cylinder. And um, I think I shot I think I think shot 39 out of 50 that day. And he was just, the whole time he was just ahead of me. He ended up shooting 41 out of 50 yeah. <laughs> with a turkey choke. Oh. I know. I just I was so mad. Sporting like, clays is not easy, I'm man. Sporting clays. I, w- I did it a couple times, and I shot fifty percent. I felt good. Those shots are hard. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, yeah. It all mm-hmm. depends on the course and all that. You know, I'm sure there's different different difficulties and distances. And um, I I love doing it. We we do it actually multiple times a year. But I um, mean, this guy, I don't even think he did it a lot. And he just had the turkey choke in, and nice. he was a dead eye shooter. And uh, you know, if you can do that, I guess <laughs> with the if you uh, you know you you probably are more lethal at 40 yards than you know than me. So. Um, so yeah, what is your what are you going to do to improve? Now, but oh yeah, well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put in a turkey choke, um, but um yeah I'm sure there's there's plenty uh, there's well, then plenty name stuff one on this whole list okay how about you go first I, I need yeah, to spend more time shooting clays I don't I don't shoot enough off season and so I I think I can improve on that I think I can improve on making sure on my distance judging making sure to really step off every single hunt. Cause I don't do that every single hunt where we step off the spinner. Um, I need to do that every single hunt and I need to, and I've gotten pretty good about the third shot, but I want to continue to make sure that I am um, only shooting the third shot when I think it's really either. I know the bird's wounded or I think it's really a good chance for a kill. Don't, don't get frustrated and shoot those third shots where you're throwing steel into birds as they, as they swing away. Yeah, no, I, I can agree on that. I'll say one thing we kind of talked about with groups and all that. Uh, I think it's making sure you don't get caught up in the moment and in the hype and all that, and uh, and making sure that you do avoid those bad shots just because mm-hmm. everybody's shooting. You know, um, you know, I think that that's something we all kind of fall prey to um, that we could you know avoid, and that's one thing I'm going to try to do. You know, take the good shots. If you got a good shot, you know, pop one there, and you don't have to just. Yeah, you don't have to unload your gun. I've definitely got a little better at that, but um, you know, in, in times of the season when it yes. gets slow is when I struggle, and I really mm-hmm. want to get on a bird. You know, it's it's one thing if you shot limit after limit after limit. You know, then you're okay yep. with just kind of picking away and and doing like the good the good easy shots. Yes, but you, do. you get desperate. Yes, you you're in a duck and two hunts, and here comes a passing shot at forty five. You're hot. I hear you. You're hungry. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I would say that, and I do want to say that I think that it is a really good idea to go ahead and add the rangefinder to the blind bag, um, just you know, just for kicks, even for this season, just to kind of you know verify you know range range the distance and um, test the people around you. And I know that I've had that before, where we pulled out a rangefinder, like, hey, what's this distance? And mm-hmm. we kind of all guessed, um, and I've been pretty accurate in the past. But again, it's like you know, go ahead and and uh, put that in the bag and 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 get it ranged and and test your buddies with it too it'll, it'll be a kind of a cool cool thing to have in the bag for that as well agreed i've never had one i'm gonna look into how expensive they are i would love to have one awesome all right well i think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up um a nice heated debate i would say at times through this it was. so it was a lot of fun um but yeah i think that's all we got for today folks um I'm Jordan, Duck and Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Seconding, and we'll see you guys on the next one.